maybe you know this, maybe this is obvious to you now, or, or maybe it's not, but here it is. Christians act much differently than people who are not Christians. Christians act, and they should act, they should behave much differently than people who are not Christians. First of all, the, the, the main, the big thing, the big piece of this is that Christians believe in God. And not just, not just any God, Christians believe in the God that is revealed through the Bible, the God of Israel, the God that is known as, as Yahweh, that God. That's the God that Christians believe, right? We believe in Jesus. We believe in the gospel. That's what Christians believe. Others don't believe that. Maybe they believe in a different God. Maybe they, believe, maybe they don't believe there's any God. Maybe they're an atheist. Maybe they're agnostic. Whatever the case may be, the point is Christians believe in God and others do not. And then other things kind of fall you know, beneath that. Things like this. Christians love when others hate. Christians are kind when others are rude. Christians show compassion and, and mercy when others are cold-hearted. When others are not showing compassion. Christians build each other up, encouraging each other, while others tear each other down. Christians live in service to God. The, the life of a Christian is all about living in service to God and pleasing God and serving each other, while others live in service to themselves. Christians have peace in situations where you could be fearful, where you could be anxious, where you could be afraid. Christians have joyful hearts. Christians have joyful hearts when others will be mad or upset or discouraged. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And Peter, he spends his time in these verses talking about Christians having joyful hearts, Christians rejoicing, Christians being joyful. So he talks a lot about joy. Well, what is joy? What, what is joy? I have a question for you, pop quiz. Is joy the same as happiness? No. If you say yes, raise your hand. Good job. Joy and happiness are different. <clears throat> happiness comes and goes, right? Happiness, one day you might be so happy. Think about the happiest you've ever been in your entire life after something happened and you were so happy. Are you still exactly that happy right now as you were at that moment then? No. Happiness comes and goes. Joy Joy is deeper. Joy is something that stays. It sticks around. Happiness depends on your life situations. Joy depends on something greater. Peter says that joy, as a Christian, comes from your relationship with Jesus. So, so joy is this, this deep joy, this, this deeper happiness underneath whatever's going on outside. It doesn't matter how bad a situation gets. You can still be a joyful person. You can still be, you can still have a smile on your face. You can still be positive about things. And it's because of the joy that you have in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is so important. You've got to understand this because Christians above all people should be the most joyful. And we talked about the, the living hope last week. And we said that only Christians, only Christians have this living hope. No other religion, no other people group, nothing, no one else has the living hope that we have. And so because of our living hope, we should be joyful people. 
Now, at the beginning, I talked about things that Christians do versus things that others do. And the reality is that that's, it doesn't always look perfect in your life, does it? Right? You don't always do exactly what you should be doing as a Christian. We know that. But the dangerous thing about this is that it might become like, like the overwhelming uh, story of your life. Right? You, you, you may, as someone who says they're a Christian, you may fall into the pattern of just not being joyful ever of being in a bad mood, of being upset, of being discouraged all the time. So what I'm saying is, we as Christians are at risk of acting like people who are not Christians. Even though you proclaim that you've trusted in Jesus, even though that maybe you actually have trusted in Jesus, you're at risk, if you're not careful, to start acting like people who actually don't know him. There should be a clear difference between people who know Jesus and don't. And what Peter is talking about today is that Christians should have joy, everlasting joy, this joy that non-Christians don't have. So look down, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. It says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." So here's what Peter is saying. He's saying, you need to have joy in your heart. No matter the situation that you're facing, no matter what's going on in your life, you should remain joyful because of your faith in Jesus. No matter what's going on, no matter how bad life gets, Christians can have joy because of their constant, their unchanging relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's point number one. I want you to write it down this way. Stay joyful during hard times. Stay joyful during hard times. So these verses are a continuation of what we talked about last week of the first five verses. Peter is building on this idea, right? You have to understand this in light of the previous verses. And so the first five verses were all about setting your focus on the living hope that you have in Christ Jesus. You're focusing on the hope that you have in him, the eternal life that you have through Jesus. The fact that one day when all of this is said and done, whenever you pass away, whenever you're gone, you will enter into eternity with your Savior, with Jesus forever. So in light of all of that, keep, keep that on your mind while we're continuing in the verses today, because here's what Peter says. He says, in this you rejoice. That word, this, if you've taken, you know, language arts or literature or English or whatever, you've, you've been told that that word, this or that or these or those, what are those called? I think they're called demonstratives, right? Yeah, Drake knows. Yeah, good job. They are referring to something, right? So if, so if I said, hey, what is this? And I didn't give you, if I didn't point to anything, if I didn't hold anything up, you'd be like, what do you mean? What is what? I'm referring to something, right? If I'm like, hey, what, what is this? That makes sense now, right? What is this? It's a Bible. Bible, right? So Peter, he says, in this you rejoice. You have to know, what is, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about everything that he wrote in the first five verses. 
He says, in this you rejoice. Well, first of all, what does it mean to rejoice? To rejoice is to have great joy or to delight, right? To, to be like super happy about something. No, it's, joy and happiness are not the same thing, but I think it's helpful in understanding joy. That it's, like, it's like extreme happiness. You are extremely happy about something. In other translations, they say, in this you greatly rejoice, you greatly, it's, it's a lot, it is great rejoicing. You are rejoicing so much because of the hope that you have in Jesus. It should cause you to be rejoicing. The hope you have in Jesus should cause you to be rejoicing. The fact that your hope will never be taken away. You have hope in Jesus, and if you're a Christian, nothing can ever take it away. No one can ever do anything to take it away. You can never lose it. No one or nothing can ever snatch you away from God's hands because you are a Christian, and that should cause you to rejoice. You should have great rejoicing. You should be rejoicing as you are waiting for your eternity. The eternity that you'll have with God in heaven, with your Savior, should cause great rejoicing. So this joy that Peter is talking about, it's not based on your life circumstances. That means it's not dependent upon what's happening in your life, the events that are occurring in your life. That is not what your joy is based on. Your joy is all based on your relationship with Jesus, your faith in Jesus. So Peter, he says that you rejoice in these things though. He has the word though. And so what that means is even though, even though something is happening, even though this is happening, even though you are grieved by various trials, you should keep rejoicing. Now these Christians, remember what they're going through, Right? Their homes had been burned to the ground. They were going through intense persecution by the Romans. The, the emperor had blamed the fires on the Christians and they had to get spread out. They have friends and family members that are being put in prison. They're being killed. So Peter says, hey, even though you're facing these trials, you should still be greatly rejoicing. You should be greatly rejoicing in the hope that you have in Jesus. You should be rejoicing because of your faith in Christ. So even though, even though you might be right now facing something difficult, even though you might be facing a hard situation, you should keep rejoicing. Your attitude should never ever be, you know what, life stinks right now, so I'm just... I'm just not going to be happy. I'm going to pout. I'm going to be in a bad mood. I'm going to be rude to people. I'm, I'm not going to be happy. Why should I be happy? Because life isn't good. And if you're not careful, that can be your attitude. If you're not careful, you can, you can just, that can be you. If you're not careful, you can wake up one morning in a bad mood and just think, you know what? I'm gonna, nothing's good. I'm not going to be happy today. I'm not going to rejoice today. I'm not, because why would I? Because life stinks. Well, Peter is saying, look, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus, then that should never be your attitude. Because even though something bad is happening right now, even though it's hard, you keep rejoicing. Because you still have Jesus. Your eternity with him is still there. He's still your savior. He's still with you through all of these things. So keep rejoicing. Now look, it, it makes sense when you think about this. It makes sense 
that people who are not Christians will live that way. Here's what I mean. People who are not Christians, they don't have the living hope. They don't have the hope of something greater than this life. So if you're not a Christian, the, the thing that you can hope for the most, the highest hope that you can have, is that this life is good. That's, that's what you're hoping for. That, you know, you, you, everything's great at school, you're popular, you got friends, everything's good at home, you're not getting in trouble, your parents will let you do what you want, right? You, you, you get to school, you get, you get a job one day, you'll get rich, you'll have a family, everything will go great. If you're not a Christian, that's the highest hope that you can have. So it makes sense for people who aren't Christians, whenever life is bad, whenever they're going through something hard, it makes sense for them to be like, well, it's hopeless, there's no hope, because they're not looking for anything, they're not looking past this towards anything. But for Christians, you know that no matter how bad life gets, how hard life gets, you are always looking past this life into the next, into eternity. And you're saying it doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how hard school is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. These things don't matter. Even though school is hard. Even, even though my parents are going through a divorce. Even though my siblings and I fight all the time, even though these bad things are happening, I will still have hope. I will still rejoice because of Jesus, because he's my savior, because I still have the promises of eternal life. I still have my living hope. So even though you should rejoice in Peter, he gives some other reasons for rejoicing through trials in verse 6. He says this, that the trials happen now for a little while. Now for a little while. So when he says the word now, he doesn't exactly mean right now, this very second. Because some of you, right this very second, you might go, hey, life is great. I don't have any problem. I'm, I'm, this is awesome. That's great. I hope that's the case. But when Peter, when he says now, what he means is during your life on earth, during the time that you have here on earth in this life, that's what he's talking about. And he says now for a little while, a little while. So look, let's get this through our minds, okay? This, this is not a promise that when you have a trial or that when you suffer or when life is hard, it's not promising that it's just going to last for a minute. It's not what it's saying. That's not what God's word says. It's not saying, hey, don't worry because when you, whenever you suffer, it's just going to last a couple days and then you're going to be fine. That's not what it means. Well, maybe you're like, okay, well then why does it say now for a little while? Because that would make sense. Well, if you remember we talked about last week, we said that you, as a Christian, are called an exile. You are an elect exile. An exile, what that means is you do not belong here. Your citizenship as a Christian is in heaven. And we await for our Savior to return. So when he says, now for a little while, what he's trying to get you to see, once again, is that this life on earth is short. It's a short time. Even if you live to be 90, 100. If you, you, maybe you have a grandparent or a great-grandparent, that's like 100 years old. That seems like a long time compared to you guys, 11, 12, 13 years old, right? But it is nothing 
compared to eternity. 100 years to us is like, whoa, 100 years. But to eternity, it's a little blip. It's a little dot. It's nothing compared to eternity. So Peter is saying, hey, you're suffering. Even if you suffer, even if you live to be 100 and your suffering lasts all 100 of those years, it's just a little time. It's just a little while. It's just a short amount of time compared to your eternity. So if you're a Christian and you're going through a hard time, you need to be thinking, hey, this is not everything. This is just a short time. It's, it's not going to cause you to lose your hope. It's not going to cause you to get discouraged or, or to just throw your hands up and say, God, I'm done with this because you're thinking about the fact that this is just a short time. That my hope is in my eternity. Have you guys ever tried to think about eternity? Raise your hand if you've ever tried to think about eternity. I've tried to think about it before. Multiple times I <laughs> try to think about it. And, and I always get to a point to where I just kind of like, like, like mind-blowing. Like, I can't think. I don't, I don't get it. I can't think about it anymore because it's, it's eternal. It's forever. Like, like forever and ever and ever. Like, it never ends. And the reason why we can't really wrap our minds around it is because nothing here is eternal. Your body is not eternal. This building is not eternal. But your soul is. And if you're a Christian, you have the hope that you, your soul, you're going to spend that in eternity with God in heaven. And that should cause you to rejoice, to say, you know what? Like, Yeah, I'm going through a hard time right now, but I have eternity to look forward to. This is just a short time. This is just a small little blip on the screen. So I'm not going to lose my hope because it's just a short amount of time. Remember the way that the verses from last week describe your inheritance. It says your inheritance that of heaven, right? Your, the reward, it's unfading, undefiled, imperishable. It will never fade. It will never go away. It will never be less awesome than it is the first moment you get there. So the very short time you have on earth, the Bible says it's just a vapor. Just, it's here and then it's gone. So when you're going through a hard time, you need to be thinking, look, it's, 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 just, it's just short time. So this is not going to make me lose my hope. I'm going to keep my hope where it is. I'm going to keep thinking about my eternity. And that will help you to rejoice through the hard times. To say, God, thank you that there's more. There's more to this. My hope is in so much more than this life right now. I'm hoping in my eternity with you. It's kind of like this. Any sports people? Sports people in here? Sports are great. There's one thing that comes along with sports that stinks. And here's what it is. It's this little thing called strength and conditioning. You guys know what I'm talking about? Running and running and running and puking and running and lifting weights and puking more. Strength and conditioning. It's hard. It's difficult. It is not easy to get through your strength and conditioning. My coach in high school... And all the other coaches, they would, they would be like, okay, we're, we're going to do, we're gonna do 10, uh, we called them gassers, right? Gassers, it's like the football field, the width of the field, so it's like 52 yards back and forth. And he'd be like, all right, we have 10 of these before you can go home. And you have to make it under a certain amount of time. After you've done a whole practice for three hours in the heat, it's just crazy, right? And so you're, whenever your coach says, all right, line up, 10 gassers, you're like, oh, my, why do you just start crying. I don't want to do this. But my coaches were helpful because along the way, 
through all the conditioning, all the running, all the lifting, they would always say this, the same thing over and over. Hey, it, it's just a second. It's just hard for a minute. Yeah, it takes 15 seconds to run this gasser. It's only hard for 15 seconds, and you do it 10 times. What is that, 150 seconds? That's nothing. You, you can do it. It's a short time. They would say, hey, this is going to make you better. This is going to make you a better athlete. It's going to make you better. It's just a short time. You can do it. And they would just say it over and over and over again, reminding us that, yeah, the hard time, it's hard. But it's just a short amount of time. And on the other side of this hard time is a good thing. We're getting better. Things are improving. Right? But when you think about life on earth, on the other side of the hard time, it's, it, it, there's something way better than just improving at sports. It's your eternity. It's heaven. It's paradise with God forever. So whenever you're going through a hard time, just tell yourself, it's just a little while. Even though now for a little while, a little while, a little, it's just a little while. I'm, I'm going to keep my trust in you. I'm going to keep rejoicing in you. I'm going to keep my hope in you because this is for a little while and it doesn't change my eternity. It doesn't change that you are my savior and my hope is in you. So now for a little while. And Peter also says something that's comforting. That is so comforting that will help us to rejoice through trials. He says this, If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. This is something that we have to deal with, we have to understand, and when you understand it properly, it, it will change the way that you look at hard times. Your mind, your perspective, your attitude will completely change when it comes to something difficult. The Bible says, that when you go through a hard time, you're going through it because God said you needed it. Now look, I know maybe you've never heard that before. But the Bible says that when you go through a hard time, it's happening because God says it's necessary for you. That you need to do it. It's required of you. When you go through a hard time, I've said this so many times before, I'm just going to keep saying it because it's a great reminder. When you go through a hard time, it is not because God has lost control. It is not because God has stopped being good and stopped caring for you and stopped loving you. When you go through a hard time, it is because God said you need it. God allows you to go through hard times because he's doing it for a good reason. A good thing is happening to you. And the good thing that's happening to you is, is that you are becoming more like Jesus. You all Raise your hand if you need to be more like Jesus. Yes, we all do. So when God allows you or puts you through something difficult, he, his word says it's necessary for you, for your faith to be stronger. Have your parents ever said anything to you before or, or made you do something or maybe they disciplined you for something and, and you didn't understand why? You ever been there before? Maybe your parents said, hey, you need to go do this. And you were like, I don't get it. Why am I doing that? And, and, and you say, well, why are you doing this? Maybe, maybe you're getting in trouble. Why? Why am I in trouble? I don't understand. I used to say that to my dad. And my dad would say, Jacob, I know you don't understand, but it's for your own what? What do you think he would say? It's for your own good. Anybody else's parents ever said that before? 
It's for your own good. So many times I didn't understand. So many times as a child, I would say, you just spanked me. <laughs> you hurt me. How is that for my good? Right? How, you, you're, you're taking away my Nintendo DS. How is that a good thing? I don't understand. But my dad would say, Jacob, it's for your own good. You're just going to have to trust me. He would say, you just, I'm your father. He would say, I'm your father. I know what's best. You need to trust me. This is for your own good. And there's nothing else I could say. I should have just been, okay. All right, dad, I trust you. He would do these things. He would discipline me, right? He would make me do difficult things for my good. And he would do these things because he loved me. So really, my love for my dad should have grown after these things because I should have understood that what he was doing, he was doing it out of his love for me. That he was making me do something difficult. That he was disciplining me for my own good because he loves me. There was always a lesson that my dad was trying to teach me. Even if it was a spanking when I was a kid or it was grounding me when I was a teenager or something like that, there was always a lesson that my dad was trying to teach me. And it was for my good because he loved me. The lesson that God is teaching you through difficult times, there, there's, there's two you know, primary things, and there's a lot of other smaller things, and that depends on the individual, which we'll talk about in a second. But the two major things that God is teaching you through trials and through hard times, it's this. To keep trusting Him, to keep trusting Him, and to keep becoming more like Jesus. Trust Him through the trials, keep your faith in Him through the trials, and through that you will become more like Jesus. It could be that you're dealing with anxiety. Maybe you've been anxious lately. And maybe God is taking you through this hard time to teach you how to trust him. Maybe you're in trouble with your parents a lot. Maybe things at home are not great right now. Maybe God is taking you through that because you need to learn how to respect your parents. You need to learn how to honor them as his, his word says to do. If you're in a trial, if you're facing something difficult, then you need to stop and you need to ask yourself a question. And the question is, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? And then maybe another question you need to ask yourself is this. God, what sin do I need to repent of? What are you trying to teach me? And what sin do I need to repent of? And the truth is, you may never figure out exactly why God is putting you through a hard time. You may never. But that should never be your goal. That should never be your number one thing whenever you're going through a hard time. Your goal should not be, oh man, I gotta figure out why this is happening. Because you may never find out. Your focus, your, your goal when you go through trials, is just, it should be this. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you through this, God. I'm going to keep my faith in you through this hard time, through this trial. You can be joyful in hard times because you know that God is doing it for a good reason. You need to stay joyful in hard times for all these reasons. And there's one more major reason that Peter talks about in verse 7. 
And it's our second point. Here it is. Number two, understand that trials are good for you. Understand that trials are good for you. So Peter, he continues to explain God's good purpose behind grief and trials. And he says this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, the tested genuineness of your faith. So the word testing, the test there, it does not mean that God is putting you through hard times to figure out how much faith you have. It's not like God says, okay, I'm going to send this trial, and he's not going, all right, let's see how you do. Let's see if you pass or fail. That's not the kind of testing. That's not, that's not what that means. Testing, you need to understand it as something like this, like, like proving. Like proving your faith is genuine. And you're not proving it to God. God knows your faith. He knows how strong your faith is. And in a sense, you're proving it to yourself. You're proving your genuine faith to yourself. So a purpose of a trial is so that your faith can be proven to be genuine. Genuine means real. So hard times actually make your faith stronger. Hard times purify your faith. And Peter, he uses this illustration about the purification process of gold. You guys have any gold jewelry, anything? Your parents have anything gold at home? Yeah? <clears throat> gold, pure gold, it has to be purified to get that way. Now back when Peter wrote this, the gold purification process was... Uh, it used fire. Nowadays, they use acid, and it gets it even more pure than it was back then, but it used to be fire. And here's, here's what would happen. Uh, gold, the, the ore, right, which means it wasn't pure gold. You look at it, and it doesn't look shiny and pretty, but you know there's gold inside, and it's mixed with other things. They would put it inside fire, They'd set it in a bowl or something. They'd stick it in fire. And the fire would melt the gold down to a liquid, liquid gold. And here's how hot the fire had to be to melt that thing down to liquid. 1,947 degrees Fahrenheit. That's, that's ridiculously hot. So the, the gold has to get put in this fire. It would melt it down to a liquid. And then they would take it out, they'd pour it into a mold, and they would let it cool off. They wouldn't let it solidify, it wouldn't be solid, it would just be cooled off. And what would happen is the impurities of the gold would float up to the top. And they would take something and they would get all the impurities, the other things, the other things like copper, silver, iron, tin, or, or lead, or aluminum, or something like that. They would take out the impurities, and then it would turn into solid, it would, it would, you know, solidify, and they would do that again, and again, and again, and again, until they were left with, back then, what was probably like 90% pure gold, not completely pure, which isn't really possible, but that's besides the point. So look, the hard times that you go through, P Peter's trying to help us understand that this, this is kind of what our trials are like, this is kind of what our trials are doing to us. So the hard times that you go through, it's like the fire that they would put the gold in. It's, it's just like the fire. And when the heat is turned up, and when life gets hard, that's when your impurities come out. That's when you can see your impurities, your sin. Maybe when life gets hard, you, you get angry, or you get anxious. 
Maybe it's selfishness or idolatry or cursing or gossip or, or slander. Whatever it may be, when you go through trials, that's when your impurities will start to surface and you start, they start to come and they, they show up. And when this is happening, when you're going through trials and when your impurities, when your sin are, is coming out for people to see, you have, you have two options. One's good and one is bad. The good option is this. You can stay firm in your faith. You say, God, even though this is hard, even though my life is hard right now, I am going to stand firm. I'm not going to doubt you. I know that, that you are with me. My, my faith is not going to shake. My faith is not going to waver. And then what I'm going to do is when you show me my impurities, I'm going to repent of them. I'm going to say, oh, wow, I just reacted in anger because I, I, that's not a good situation. God, help me to repent of my anger. Wow, I've been really selfish lately. I've only been thinking about myself. God, help me to repent of my selfishness. Wow, I'm slandering. I'm gossiping. I'm saying perverted things. I need to repent. That's what God wants you to do. Or you can do the opposite, which is you can say, God, you must not be here. You must not be real. I'm turning my back. I'm done. You have two options. You need to do the first one. If you respond the way that God wants you to respond, you keep trusting, you repent of the impurities that are rising up, your faith becomes stronger. The trial was good. All trials are good. Your, your faith is then proven genuine. It, it's proven real. That's what trials are doing. It, it's for a good purpose. So you need to see that your trials are good for you. God puts you through trials for a good reason, and it's for you to become more like Jesus. And when your faith is proven genuine, it pleases God. God is pleased with genuine faith. It says in that verse that genuine faith is more precious than pure gold. Genuine faith in God is worth more. It's more valuable to God, and it should be more valuable to you, than pure gold. Do you guys know how valuable pure gold is? Do you guys, do you guys know how, how heavy an ounce is? How, how, how heavy is an ounce? Like it's, it's, is it big or small? small? An ounce. It's really tiny, right? One ounce, really, really small. Do you know how much money one ounce of pure gold is worth right now? How much? You keep doing this. You were here last night, weren't you? You keep doing this. He's right. One ounce. One little ounce of pure gold is worth $1,920. That's a lot of money. That's a whole lot of money for a little tiny ounce of gold. What? It's worth a lot. But your genuine faith, look at me, look at me, stay focused. Your genuine faith in God is more precious to him than pure gold. Gold is the, it's one of the most expensive substances in the world. And God says, I don't, I don't care about that. I want your faith. I want your pure faith, genuine faith. 
So you should not be more concerned about anything other than your faith in God and your faith in God being real, being genuine, because that's what God wants. That's what God desires. That is what God is after. In fact, the only way to please God, the only way that you can please God is if you have faith in him. Write this down, Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. If you do not have faith in God, if you have not put your trust in Jesus, you can't do anything to please God. Even whenever you do what the Bible says, it's not pleasing to God if you're not a Christian because the only way you can really please him is if you put your trust in Jesus. So if you're doing what the Bible says right now, you're doing it for some other reason because your parents want you to, because it makes your life easier, something like that. But when you become a Christian, your obedience, your faith, right? It pleases God because your motivation is because you're, you're doing it for obedience, right? You're doing it to glorify him. That's your motivation. So without faith, you can't please God. So you should be so much more concerned about your faith than you are about anything else or anyone else. So throughout the beginning of this letter, Peter, he's had one major theme in view here. One one major theme in view, and the theme is your salvation. Your salvation. That's what he's talking about, right? And when he's talking about your salvation, he's talking about this. The fact that Christians have been justified, that means that you have been made right before a holy God, that a sinner has been made righteous before a holy God. You've been justified, that that you're being sanctified. There's that word again, that you are being made more like Jesus, that everything that happens in your life as a Christian is for the purpose of you becoming more like Jesus. And then the last part of this, the part of your salvation that we're looking forward to is your glorification. There's justification, sanctification, glorification, right? Made completely like Jesus. That's when you die, when you pass on into eternity, you will enter into glory. That's what that means. You're going to be glorified. You're going to be made like Jesus. No more sin, no more shame, no more sickness, nothing like that. You will be made not like him in the sense of you'll be God, but you'll be made like him in his likeness. No more sin. So Peter, he's been reminding us, he's reminding these Christians going through hard times, he's been reminding them, hey, remember your salvation. Not just remember, but here's point three. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in your salvation. He he talks about things uh, about your faith that are true. He says, you haven't seen Jesus, but you love him. If you're a Christian, you've never put your eyes on Jesus. You've never actually seen him, but you love him. And even if you love him, what that implies is a daily, personal relationship with Jesus. Right? So if you say that you love Jesus, are you obeying him? Are you reading his word? Are you spending time in prayer? Think about that. It says you have not seen him, but you love him. You don't see Jesus right now, but you believe in him. And that doesn't just mean that you believe the facts are true. 
It doesn't mean that. It means that you have put your trust in him. You trust him for his salvation. You, you trust that you cannot earn your salvation, that Jesus did, that, that the righteousness of Jesus is the only way that you can have a relationship with God. That you believe this, you trust in this, even though you've never seen him, that you believe him. And then it says, and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That word inexpressible, there are no words. That's what it means. You can't explain it. You don't have the words to say. It's just inexpressible how joyful you are. Have you guys ever been so happy before that you were just like, you just don't know what to say? You ever been there before? Like maybe on your birthday, your parents surprise you, and you're just like, yeah, inexpressible joy, right? That should be the joy that we feel in our hearts because of our salvation. So if you're a Christian, if you trust in Jesus, you are saved. You are saved from your sin. God is making you more like Jesus with every passing day. And one day, you will be made perfect. You will enter into eternity with Jesus. You'll be with your Savior. And that should cause us to just go, I I have no words. I'm so happy. I'm so joyful about this. So that no matter what you face, no matter how hard life gets, no matter what happens, you will stay joyful. Because you're rejoicing in your salvation. You're rejoicing in what God has done for you. So how often do you thank God for your salvation? How often are you praying? How often do you just say, God, thank you for saving me? God, thank you for sending your son to die for me, to take the punishment that I deserve. Thank you for raising from the dead. Thank you for saving me, God. How often do you just take time to be joyful, to rejoice in your salvation. We should do it often. In your salvation, that should then cause you to be a joyful person. I had a, a pastor years ago. Uh, his name was Wayne Watts. Pastor Watts. Pastor Watts was very old. He was 80-something, maybe 90-something. We'll go with 80. <laughs> um, he, was, he was the most joyful person I've ever met. And I don't think, he was just so joyful, so happy, just always smiling, always loving, always caring, always compassionate, always joyful. Well, Pastor Wayne went to the doctor one day, and when he was at the doctor, the doctor gave him a very bad report. They said, Mr. Watts, you have cancer. There's nothing we can do. There's no surgery we can do. There's no chemotherapy. Nothing that we do will save you. You've got, you've got a month left at most to live. So Pastor Watts came back to church and he, and he told us what the doctor had said. But something about Pastor Watts that will, will stick with me until the day that I die is that he never lost his smile. He stood up there and he told the church what was going on with a smile. Not because he was happy that he had cancer, not because he's happy that he was going to die, but because his joy could not be taken from him. Nothing was going to take his joy away. 
He continued to, to preach and teach as long as he could. He continued to serve the church. He continued to be joyful. And he would always say this. He would always say, guys, I'm so joyful because no matter what happens, I win. That's what he said. He said, if God saves me, if he heals me and gives me longer to stay here on earth with, with my wife, with my family, with my grandkids, with my church, he said, then I win and praise God. We said, even if, even if God takes me, even if this cancer kills me, I'm not going to lose my joy because then I'm going to go, I'm going to be with my Savior forever. I'm going to be in a place where I don't have cancer anymore. I'm not going to have sin anymore. I'm not going to have shame anymore. I'm not going to have any of this anymore. So he said, it doesn't, doesn't matter what happens to me. He said, I'm always going to be joyful because of my faith in Jesus, because nothing can take it away. We should all be like Pastor Watts. We should all understand that as a Christian, we should be joyful through all of our life circumstances. That nothing can take your joy away. Nothing can take your hope away if you put your trust in Jesus. So no matter what you face, no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on, you stay joyful. You stay hopeful because of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much for the hope that we have in you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for living the life, the perfect life that, that we could not live. Thank you for going to the cross <clears throat> willingly for us. Thank you for taking the punishment of sin that, that I deserve, that, that people that we deserve. And thank you for thank you for raising from the dead. Thank you for not staying there. I thank you for the hope that we have, the joy that we can have in you. If we put our trust in you, God, I pray that every student in this room, every, every person in this room, if they haven't yet, would put their trust in you. God, help us to be joyful. Help us to be hopeful. Help us to always be rejoicing in our salvation. Help us to glorify you with what we say, with what we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.